So let's jump in uh, today. If you've been with us over the last little while, you'll know uh, that we have been in uh, a season uh, of Lent in the church, and we're sticking with that season this week. Uh, And we're reading today from Romans 5, verses 1 to 11. If you've got a Bible on you now, why don't you grab it? We're going to read God's Word, and then we're going to dig in today. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that it still speaks today. Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of uncertainty and worry and doubt, you are present with us, that your word is still a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that your presence with us is more important now than perhaps we felt it has been in a long time. God, meet with us wherever we are today, I pray. Amen. These are strange days. I don't think it takes me to tell you that these are strange times. A couple of weeks ago, while I was talking about the transformation that was possible in our lives through spiritual formation, I quoted Lenin and I said this, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. And if when you heard that a couple of weeks ago, you doubted that that was true or not likely, well, you believe it's possible now. No one is doubting that now. Where we sit right now, the Tesco shelves are empty of loo roll. Every shop everywhere is empty of pasta and hand sanitizer. Even Fox News have finally stopped playing down the seriousness of the coronavirus in America. And the internet is just about beginning to run out of memes making light of the coronavirus. These are strange days. And in the middle of it all, how are the church, we the church, central, how are we to be the church in the middle of the coronavirus? How do we live in hope? How do we live in expectation? How do we live in the way of Jesus in the moment that we are in? Well, one thing we can be sure of is that by now, if you're anything like me, and we're only a couple of weeks into the more serious effects of the virus in this country, just about all of us are pretty fed up with Christian memes endlessly running off platitudes, done with playlists with titles like songs of peace and songs of hope. It just doesn't cut it. It just doesn't speak to the depths of our longing, our hurt, confusion, and our worry. I'm so aware that some of you listening to this today have already lost your jobs or have entered into a season where you have no idea what's next. 
I realize that you're carrying health concerns for yourself or for others, people that are in the at-risk bracket. And we can't bury the longing. That's the reality. So where do we point it? And then I remember that this is still the season of Lent. Theologian and bishop Graham Tomlin tweeted out earlier this week that this is the Lent we never expected. And it's true, isn't it? That a season which is marked by waiting, hoping, anticipating, confessing, longing, contending. A season that's marked by those very features has perhaps never felt so real or so important to those who follow Jesus as it does right now. This is the Lent we never expected. And today's theme in the Lent calendar is peace and hope. Now, more than perhaps any of us could ever have thought possible or necessary, we get this moment to mine our character. And we'll need to right now, need to if we're going to become people of peace and hope until he comes. We are reading today from Romans 5. And up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul has been setting the scene, and a lot of it has been speaking into the theme of justification. We all know in life it's important to know uh, what buzzwords or lingo actually mean. Like, for example, when someone texts and at the end of it they write LOL, lol, right? We all know what that means, except you don't want to be the lady who thought that lol meant lots of love and texted her daughter, honey, your grandmother's just died, lol. This is a true story. We have to know what the words mean. And in this, justification is a word we use to explain what God has done through Jesus to make us right, to make us clean in his eyes to remove our guilt and sin, to pay the debt, settle the bill, to draw us close and to give us access to the Father. And it's something that only he can do. And so in the early chapters of Romans, if you're reading through, Paul speaks into the need for justification. And then in chapters three and four, Paul speaks about the way of justification. And now in chapter five, Paul talks about the fruit of justification. And in today's passage, and it feels timely that this is the passage and the message of Lent on this Sunday, the fruit is peace and hope. First thing today is peace. First thing today is that until he comes, we are to be a people of peace. These are the first couple of verses again. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace. It's one of those universal human longings, isn't it? But the question is, what sort of peace when we talk about peace? You see, there's so many people, peace is just a feeling. It's just the way someone or something or some way makes us feel. The author and preacher, Tony Merida, talking about a conversation he had with someone about peace, said that this is how they remarked. Well, I'm glad Christianity gives you that, but I get those feelings from yoga or meditation or taking long walks or eating kale or drinking bourbon or rubbing essential oils on my lymph nodes. Peace is a feeling, and I can get it in lots of places. But we living here in Northern Ireland, right? We living here know better than most that peace is so much more than a feeling. Peace is a reality. We lived through a childhood of soldiers on our streets, riots, bombings, and barricades. We know that peace and the peace that we live in now is more than just a feeling. It's a reality that we live in. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in these verses, that peace, the peace that is available to us is way beyond a feeling that comes and goes. It's a reality that we live in. The peace that he's talking about is the most fundamental form of peace available to us because it's the peace between us and God, between creator and created. And we get it through relationship with him. 
Peace becomes ours as we live in relationship with Jesus. Paul is beginning to build a picture of the Christian life which the ancient promises of God are beginning to come true. And right at the center of these promises is the establishment of a loving, personal relationship between God and man. Think back, if you can, to Christmas. And so many of the carols that we sing in the scripture that we read talk about peace between God and man. This is it, right? Fast forward to Jesus' ministry and the shalom of the kingdom that he talks about, the everything in its right place kind of peace on earth. This is it. You know, so often I find that we want festival Christianity. We want the highlight real stuff. We're searching for and holding out for that. Big experiences, the sorts of stories that we tell others about, encounters with God, lives transformed, people restored, renewed, healed even. We want that so much and it's good to long for those things, but we don't hold on for and long for the type of work on our relationship with God that goes unseen, unknown, and unshared. We want the highlights, but what we need What is available right now is him, because that's where the peace is. So I wanted to ask, wherever you are today, what do you expect in your relationship from God? What do you expect from your relationship with God? What kind of relationship do you have with him? Like, do you feel that he just generally disapproves of you and your lifestyle? Do you think that you find that when you pray and you seek him, that it's just that you do it because you need to get out of a hole of some description? Do you find that conversation with God is some sort of cosmic negotiation, like if you do this, I'll do that, right? Or maybe you feel that he isn't hearing you, or maybe you feel that he isn't speaking. Or does your relationship start in the understanding that he is a father of the truest, most tender, most interested kind, who knows the deepest longing of your heart, the passion of your life, knows the very hairs in your head, You know what, so much of why our relationship stalls or maybe even never really gets going is because we have a wrong view of God. We've got a wrong view about how he feels about us, feels about our lives. Like the idea that he might be interested in the details of my life, especially right now, feels completely absurd, right? So often we picture God looking at us from 50,000 feet, don't we? Like he sees us like ants, just busy, whiling away, kind of doing our thing, right? But that's the absurd thing. Because to do that is just to look at God like he is just like us, only a little bit bigger and a little bit more omnipresent. The God of the Bible is way more full of mystery than that, way more interested way more involved, way closer than we know. How do I know? This is what Paul says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Grace. Grace is how we know. The sort of grace that we can't fall from, grasp for, hold on to, or lose. Paul says we're standing in it. And so many of you right now, so many of you are in a time of social distancing, right? I get it, we all are, okay? Unfortunately, when you're a dad to a three-year-old, the social distancing doesn't apply to you and your three-year-old, right? And life being stuck in the house with a small child, especially Elle, is pretty full on most of the time. And the thing is that she's the most intensely tactile, physical touch person that you have ever 
mat, right? She holds your face, she strokes your arm. If you have even the slightest bit of skin showing, she will leave literally whatever she's doing, cross the room and come and put her face wherever that skin is, right? She's full on, right? As a non-physical touch person, this is my worst nightmare. I am living in my worst nightmare, right? But here's the thing. Even Elle knows when she's in my bad books and I'm upset or angry with her for something she's done. She knows she's accepted. She knows she's loved. But when she thinks I'm upset with her, she gives me a wide berth. She avoids. She stays clear. And how much is that us? We have the opportunity for peace, real fundamental peace, but it's only available through relationship. And how much do we let our view of God and what he thinks of us cause us to give him a wide berth, avoid and steer clear? How much do we let our feelings, our changing every day, every moment feelings and not our beliefs about who God is and who he says we are dictate how close we're prepared to let him get to our lives, our deepest self, our questions and our longings. The peace of that relationship, the basis of what he thinks of you, what is it? That you are valuable, fearfully and wonderfully made. The one that because of his great love gave all that he had, that you are new, a new creation, that you are transformed and being transformed, that you are not condemned, not forgotten, but rather forgiven, that you have his spirit in you, that you're his representative, that you are light in the Lord, that you are a saint and a servant, a worker and a witness. Peace, come near to the one who is the author and perfecter of the faith that you have found. We are to be a people of peace until he comes. But secondly, we're to be a people of hope. We're to be a people of hope. Most of the world loves a good opinion or anecdote on hope, don't they? And the problem is that if we gobble them all up, we, all we end up being is massively disappointed. You see, hope is not blind optimism, is it? The kind that says things like, oh, tomorrow will be better. Because sometimes it's not. Hope is also not silly. It's not the kind of thing that says what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because the reality is that it might not. And hope is not escapism. It's not the kind that binges on Netflix alcohol and sweet and salty popcorn. Real hope is different. Paul says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And then after that, he goes on even further, okay, to say that we rejoice as we suffer. This is what he says in verses two to five. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Real hope walks through the suffering of our lives at the pace that we make it through. Real hope doesn't rush us. Real hope doesn't try to say that what we feel and where we are doesn't matter, isn't important. Real hope never dodges the question. And it turns out that to be a people of real hope, we need suffering. You see, we live in an age that finds pain, suffering, and trials apparent, right? Like we run from it, shelter our kids and each other from it. We think the good life is pain-free. 
This is what Eugene Peterson says. We live in a time when everyone's goal is to, be, is to be perpetually healthy and constantly happy. If any one of us fails to live up to the standards that are advertised as normative, we are labeled as a problem to be solved and a host of well-intentioned people rush to try out various cures on us. And yet, as Peterson says in his book, Along Obedience, to be human is to be in trouble, right? To be human is to be in trouble. Here's the thing, we all suffer and we need it if we are to grow. Paul is looking at our lives and he sees a steady progression in which God uses our sufferings for the same purpose as he gives us his presence and his love to transform us into the truly human people that we were made to be. Perseverance leads to character, character leads to hope. You know, some of the most beautiful, even holy things that exist in this life are only made possible by the brokenness of the human condition. Things like forgiveness is only possible because we are wronged. Love displayed through loss, compassion that swells through the pain and and circumstances of others to meet them. And we need our pain if we are ever to be a person of perseverance. As a cyclist... And every cyclist, doesn't matter how good, how fast or how fit, knows too well that you only get endurance by suffering. You can't get it any other way. The only way to get it is to suffer. Before we had L and I became much less fit and much less quick on a bike, uh, myself and a small group of friends were really pretty quick. Like we were at the upper end of most amateurs, right? Having said that, when I say it that way, it definitely doesn't sound as impressive as I felt at the time. It's not impressive at all to say that you're at the upper end of amateurs, right? Woeful, really. Anyway, here's the problem, right? Now that I'm not fit and I'm not fast, the problem is that I know what it takes to get it. And it fills me with dread. I mean, there were days that I had to crawl up the stairs after training rides, days that I had to sit down in the shower because I couldn't stand anymore, as is the motto of many great classic cyclists, ex duris gloria, glory through suffering. Pain, suffering, and trial, we need it. And pain is not just necessary to grow, it's a necessary corollary to love. Jetty Greer says this, the only way to have a pain-free life is to have a love-free life, and Christianity moves you toward love, not away from it. The opposite of love is not pain or hurt or hate, it's apathy. To be a people of hope, to be a people of love, we need pain, we need suffering, we need trial. You know, the word Paul uses for suffering is thlipsis, and it means tribulation. And it comes, uh, we get it translated in English from the Latin word tribulum. And the tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it used for threshing the grain. The tribulum was drawn over the grain and it separated the wheat from the chaff. That's what suffering does in our lives. That's what tribulation does in our lives. It is the process of salvation. It is the process whereby God recreates humanity in his image in us. My granddad used to have the most incredible Bible knowledge, like encyclopedic. I mean, he could recite these huge long passages of scripture from memory. 
you know when people use phrases like write it on my heart well like that was him he just knew the bible almost word for word from start to finish and I used to think whenever I would hear him kind of recite long bits of the bible I mean he would get up to preach and he would just speak the word of God you know he wouldn't need to read it it would just be in him it was in his head it was on his heart he knew it and I would often think when I heard him do it you know how did he get to know that how did how did all of that ever go in how he was a celiac and he was a celiac in an age where nobody really knew much about celiacs. And so as a child, he was really quite sick a lot of the time. And when you know how it is when you're sick, right? The sorts of things people give you when you're sick, things like bread and stuff like that, were exactly the sorts of things that made him even more sick. So he spent long periods of time in bed and feeling pretty sorry for himself after he'd eaten something that his system couldn't stand. And in all of those hours, wrapped up in bed, feeling pretty rotten, he spent them reading the Bible, consuming the Bible. The tribulation was the necessary condition for the growth. It's a bit like my deep love for raw denim. You see, the thing about denim is that here and in most of the Western world, we love a brand new pair of jeans, right? Some of you where you're sitting right now may be sitting in a brand new pair of jeans right now, feeling pretty good about yourselves. The thing is, that's fine here, but in Scandinavia, they treasure a well-worn pair, broken in when they're fitted perfectly to you, when they started to get the little marks from where your wallet is and your phone is and your keys sit in your pocket, when the creases have started to come behind your knees, when the color has started to change, when you've lived through the weeks upon weeks of blue dye getting into your hands and stuck to your shoes and ruining everything that you sit on, right? You get the gold of a well-worn pair. Here's the thing. What is most precious to God? The newborn life or the weathered saint? I think, I believe it's the second. We have this hope because of love. Paul continues, you see, at the, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life. We have this hope, one that is weathered into something beautiful through the suffering of our lives, and we can rely on it because God proved it by the gift of his son at the cross. He demonstrated it to the whole world. Not only that, but also by his spirit, which pours God's love into our lives. That's what he says. We live in a present hope, but we live in a future hope in him. Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Hollywood movies, are so often built on scenes just like this one, right? The how much more statement. Seeing as we're in an apocalyptic moment, and if you've walked through, driven through, or been anywhere near Belfast City Centre in the last couple of days, it truly is apocalyptic, bizarre, empty, weird, right? Think of the day after tomorrow, right? If we're talking about apocalyptic movies, let's go straight to one of the best, okay? The day after tomorrow. And how the father makes the promise to come for the son, right? He says over the phone, I, over the phone, I will come for you, right? 
And even though it's more than unlikely, it's almost certainly impossible, even though the cost is great, even though every other voice says, don't go, you won't make it in the end, the sureness of the final rescue is built on the promise of the rescuer. And this hope, our hope, of a life now weathered right through the heart of our suffering, not denying it, not making light of it or avoiding it, hope that walks through it with us at the pace that our hearts can handle, hope that develops through the character built in tribulation, hope that feels pain but knows love, hope means life now and resurrection later and trust, and I believe it. Why? Because just look at what he has done for us. I believe it because look at what he's done for us. A people of peace and hope until he comes. I realize that many of us are suffering right in this moment. I realize that there is pain in the room wherever you are. I realize that there is worry in our lives. I know the fear of our moment. But when fear is in control, we push down love. And it is love. God's love that makes peace and hope possible. These are the words of Henri Nguyen. This is what he said. Many people suffer because of the false supposition on which they have based their lives. That supposition is that there should be no fear or loneliness, no confusion or doubt. But these sufferings can only be dealt with creatively when they are understood as wounds integral to our human condition. Therefore, ministry is a very confronting service. It does not allow us to live with illusions of immortality and wholeness. It keeps reminding others that they are mortal and broken, but also that with the recognition of this condition, liberation starts. Just as we finish up today, and I'm gonna pray in a little moment. You know, I wanna encourage you in the moment that we're in, in the distance that we all now feel from people we love, family members, friends, the wider community of this church. I wanna just try and urge you today to continue to try and be a community of peace and hope that recognizes Uh, the moment that we're in that recognizes the worry that's in our doubts. And the only way we're going to get that in the community uh, of our friends, the community of faith in this church, is if we get honest and we wade through the pain with one another. I want to encourage you to now more than ever, share with other people in your community where you're at. Share your doubts, share your fears, share your struggles, share about the things that you need, share about the pain that you're in, if it's financial, if it's practical, if it's worries for other people, your mental health, whatever, be somebody that proactively shares where you are with other people now who can speak into your life and walk through you with it. The challenge is to be open. And secondly, the challenge is to develop your relationship with Jesus. You're gonna have more time in your hands now than perhaps you have ever had. And this is a moment to dig into that relationship with Jesus, the peace of God, the peace between you and God only comes through relationship. Don't avoid it. Don't give it a wide berth. Dig in.